Well, good morning again, and welcome back to the Thrive Subscribe podcast. Um, well, you know, March 2020 is now gone. We're into April, and uh, March this year will likely be one that I will never forget. Uh, living in a university town like I do, March typically means spring break. Uh, the university and the local schools are on break one week uh, each week in March, and typically the university students will head south to the beaches of Texas or Florida. Uh, in my case, my family was planning a ski trip to the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. Uh, as March kind of progressed, in like a lamb and out like a lion, I suppose, uh, the pandemic was gradually becoming more real to us in the United States. Things were beginning to come become serious during the second week of the month, with a few states starting to announce closures of their schools. We were concerned with the potential interruption of our travel plans to Colorado, so we called the ski resort the day before we were scheduled to leave to see if there would be any changes in their plans for operations. The resort didn't have any plans to shut down, so on Friday, March 13th, we began driving from Iowa to Colorado. In retrospect, perhaps we should have been a little more circumspect about our departure date. Friday the 13th really is not generally considered to be much luck. Uh, but, you know, with St. Patrick's Day coming up, we gave it a shot. We started out uh, and uh, stayed the night in Kearney, Nebraska, and continued our trip the next morning on Saturday. Uh, after a quick stop at Denver at the airport to pick up another family member, we'd finished our drive to the mountains uh, and arrived about 2 p.m. on Saturday. We were all very excited. This was a good snow year, and we were ready to hit the slopes. That afternoon, while we were in line to rent our ski equipment, Several resorts, thankfully not ours, announced on Twitter that they were going to close and cease operations immediately. However, by 10 p.m., our resort was included, as every ski resort in the state of Colorado was shut down by decree of the governor. We were disappointed, but we understood the gravity of the situation, so the next morning we left back for Iowa. People of a certain age they can usually tell you where they were when a historic event happened. Examples might include the assassination of JFK, the first landing on the moon, the Challenger explosion, or maybe September 11th. In many ways, the moment that the current pandemic becomes real to each one of us is likely to make it into this list. This pandemic is truly a one-of-a-kind or that type of event. My pandemic-shortened road trip to Colorado, that long, quick weekend, is when this pandemic became very real to me. Now, every morning on my drive to work, I listen to CNN on the radio. Over the past couple of weeks now, I've become almost immune or numb to the numbers and the statistics that they talk about pretty much every hour of the day. At our own pharmacy, our preventative measures and procedures have been changing almost daily. The new normal is decidedly not normal. For decades, one of my business partners, Randy McDonough, whose voice you often hear talking with our podcast guests, has been very involved nationally with the professional pharmacy. While he was on the board of trustees for APHA, he became acquainted with today's guest, Michael Hogue, the dean of the Loma Linda College of Pharmacy. Randy and Michael 
we'll be discussing some of the new opportunities being presented to our profession today, in part because of the pandemic. So let's listen in. Welcome back, everybody, to Thrive Subscribe. And today I'm very proud and, and happy to be able to interview um, my good friend, a colleague, and now my boss as well. And that's uh, Dr. Michael Hogue, who's Dean of Loma Linda University School of Pharmacy at Loma Linda, California. Welcome today, Mike. Michael. Thanks, Randy. It's, uh, it's good to be uh, on the program with you today. I appreciate that, Michael. You know, Michael, you know, you and I have been back and forth more recently about the discussions on the COVID-19 and what our country is going through right now. So can you tell me what role that you see community pharmacists providing during this time? Well, yeah, I, I think community pharmacists are critical uh, to every community in the country right now. I think as everybody has experienced over these last few weeks, um, in many communities, the community pharmacist is the only healthcare uh, provider that's available. And so we're really vital uh, to just just about every aspect of healthcare. I mean, if you think about it, obviously we're the source for medications and patients need to be able to continue their medication therapy during this crisis. But, you know, most uh, medical practices have ceased uh, with visits. Some are starting to do some telehealth visits, which is great. But, you know, people need a health resource in their community. And I think uh, this uh, crisis is uh, demonstrating to the entire healthcare system the, the critical nature of a community pharmacist in being able to meet those healthcare needs. So it's a, it's a real challenge for all of us. But at the same time, I think it's a real opportunity for our profession. Michael, I totally agree with you. You know, um, there is becoming limited access to um, to medical um, offices and and other offices, and even, even with community pharmacies, you know, where the lobbies might be closed up. But we're thinking outside the box and saying, how can we still provide services and access to critical medication? So what we're doing is a lot more of a curbside uh, delivery, home delivery, remote consults whatever we can do to make sure the patient is optimizing their medications. Part of that is to make sure we're doing the ongoing monitoring follow-up, especially with those high-risk patients who might be at risk of a COVID-19 infection. And if they do get it, it's going to exacerbate their conditions. Those are going to be patients over 65 years of age, those patients who have chronic medical conditions such as cardiovascular disease, diabetes, chronic lung disorders, being suppressed with their immune system. So, I do see pharmacists having this important role in the community setting to make sure that that care is, is continuing to happen with those patients from a monitoring perspective. Have you seen anything like that around your area? Well, yes, it's uh, it's really important. I mean, I, I think about uh, one of the community pharmacies in our area that comes to mind immediately that's uh, uh, very involved in all the areas you're talking about. I mean, we, we know of patient populations who uh, are unable to uh, get all of the services, the healthcare services that they need, especially related to chronic care, uh, chronic disease management. And we have community pharmacists and in fact, some of our students stepping in uh, to provide a telephonic consultation and to help ensure appropriate medication outcomes. So yeah, we see that happening. Um, I think, you know, the, the reality is, is that as you're aware, Randy, a lot of the challenge that our profession has faced is, 
is being able to be recognized um, financially through the payment system for the non-dispensing clinical care services that we provide in community pharmacies. And we've had a lot of challenges with that on a lot of levels, but at the state level and the national level, there's even been payer level challenges, of course. What I'm seeing happen um, on both the local and the national level is that payers are starting to recognize that, hey, wait a minute, what these pharmacists are doing is really valuable and patients are demanding the service. And, and I, I am an optimist at heart, as you well know, Randy, and I, I optimistically believe that if we will do the right things to take care of patients with excellence uh, in the community pharmacy right now, uh, that that's going to pay off for us. Uh, I really believe that we're going to see some fruits from that labor invested here in the next few months as, um, as the government and payers and states begin to realize, hey, uh, we've got a very valuable resource here in the community pharmacist, and, and we need to make sure they're included uh, fully in our programs and our coverages. I totally agree, Michael. And, and you know, I'm seeing that right now. I'm trying to capture a lot of the stories that I'm hearing uh, from pharmacists in, in all settings. And, and for me, particularly community pharmacy setting, of what they're doing to ensure patients are achieving their outcomes, that they're making sure they're monitoring the patients more closely, making sure they're clinically stable. Um, and this is an important role for the pharmacist to play right now, working collaboratively with the other providers. So I think this is the time for us to capture the story because after this COVID-19 pandemic starts to subside, I want it to be a strong thought in everybody's mind about, you know, all healthcare providers who really did a lot of things, you know, the unsung heroes, but not to forget about the pharmacist and the role that they had in that because they did play an important role in that. Michael, one of the things I want to talk to you about, because you come from a community pharmacy background, and now you're the dean of Loma Linda University School of Pharmacy. And you know, I know that you've invested a lot of resources within the School of Pharmacy, and in particular, you like to see, you know, how can we help transform pharmacy practice? Tell me what you have done to partner maybe with community pharmacy, and what resources have you uh, developed or invested in to help community pharmacists transform their practices? Yeah, absolutely, Randy. Um, well, as you mentioned, uh, my heart is in community pharmacy. I uh, was an independent pharmacy owner uh, for several years. Uh, my wife worked in independent pharmacy. She's a pharmacist also. She worked in independent pharmacies for a long time, for a good part of her career. We uh, we believe very strongly, personally, as uh, in, in uh, community pharmacy practice, uh, when I came to Loma Linda here in Southern California after being in Alabama for 26 years, uh, obviously I was coming into an environment that was new and um, been learning a lot about what the needs of the area are. Uh, there are a lot of independent pharmacists, a lot of community pharmacists broadly, but independent pharmacists in particular in Southern California. And, uh, you know, the things that are going on with DIR fees and the squeezed reimbursements that we're all facing and challenges with PBMs and so forth, um, they're, they're just, uh, they can't be ignored. And, and I realized um, as the dean that, that our school of pharmacy had to get more actively involved in helping uh, collaborate with community pharmacies. Um, 
you know, my observation was back in, uh, uh, you know, looking historically back in the 1970s uh, and 80s, schools and colleges of pharmacy invested very heavily in hospitals to try to advance pharmacy practice in the hospital setting. And here we stand, um, you know, 40, 50 years later, and hospital pharmacists are extremely highly valued on the healthcare team, and, and no one could imagine having uh, a hospital uh, functioning without pharmacists. So I said, why don't we make the same investment in community pharmacy practice that we used to make in hospital pharmacy practice? And so I've slowly started to uh, uh, to look at how our school of pharmacy uh, partners with community pharmacy in our in the Southern California area. So we've got quite a number of initiatives uh, that that are underway. I think I might tell a little quick story, Randy, if it's okay. Absolutely, Michael. Yeah, let, let me uh, let me just uh, take you back to last summer um, in the summer of 2019. Uh, I believe that the Community Pharmacy Foundation and Melissa uh, McGivney announced the ACT CPESN Collaborative. And uh, in that summer meeting, uh, a couple of the other deans of schools of pharmacy here in California, uh, Dan Robinson at Western University and Ron Jordan at uh, uh, Chapman University, the three of us got together and said, look, guys, <clears throat> we need to partner together to uplift community pharmacy in Southern California, and, and we need to collaborate in an unprecedented way to try to help the community pharmacies be successful in our area. So we uh, formed a, a collaborative uh, here in Southern California with the California CPSN, and we all agreed that we would put in uh, personnel resources and uh, would begin having weekly calls to collaborate everybody. And so uh, at that was the point that uh, uh, each school of pharmacy dedicated a faculty person toward this effort. Uh, most recently, uh, that resulted in us uh, bringing Randy on board, uh, bringing you uh, on our team. And um, uh, also, uh, we're looking now at expanding community pharmacy residency investments uh, to try to expand practice there. So uh, we're this is just really getting started on our end, but I can tell you that our School of Pharmacy is incredibly committed uh, to helping community pharmacy succeed and um, and we're using the leverage of the ACT CPSN uh, network to help us get that off the ground. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things, a lot of forces that came together, I think, during this time with CPSN USA and the Community Pharmacy Foundation um, getting Clip the Pharmacy grant and then with Melissa getting the ACT grant as well. And then you um, working with the other deans of the Colleges of Pharmacy in Southern California it just seemed like a lot of things all happened at once, which I do believe is, is providing the catalyst for something um, very exciting to happen in Southern California. So I appreciate your leadership and leadership of uh, the other deans there as well, too. So thank you for that. Randy, could I just uh, could I also just interject that I, I have uh, the CPSN pharmacists that are assigned to our uh, uh, Loma Linda's uh, work group, I would just tell you are uh, phenomenal pharmacists. They have such a heart for their patients, and I'm inspired by their desire uh, to see their patient populations achieve appropriate outcomes. And they they really, really have their heart in the right place, and they're really working together 
in an unprecedented way. And I'm, I'm just so impressed by these community pharmacists that we're working with here uh, in our, our pod. And I know that that's pervasive throughout the CPSN network, but I, I just feel like I need to brag on these pharmacists because they are, they're really dedicated individuals. And the structure that the ACT-CPSN collaborative provides I think uh, will be helpful to them. It'll help match the knowledge and skills that are necessary to make their heart's desire accomplishable. Michael, I agree. I, you know, I, I visited all the sites that um, we're responsible for, for Loma Linda, and I would totally agree. I mean, it was impressive to me, and I was inspired. Even though they may not have, you know, all the domains in place, you know, all the different resources in place to really do it the way that can be optimized, but watching them and the care they provided to their patients, they don't even realize, I think, sometimes just how they should be capturing and, and documenting that care because it's so important. They, they just think it's just, this is what I do every day. But I said, you've got to show that to the world because it's important that people do recognize that. And you brought that up that, you know, being the eternal optimist that in the next few years, people will see and payers will see the value. But we've got to demonstrate that value. And so everybody needs to get on the same bus and we got to make sure we get there. So, no question. Michael, question, I, I want to go back to the students because I do think you talked about um, ACT or ACT and, uh, you know, the role of academia, utilizing students. You're using students telephonically, especially during this COVID-19 pandemic. What other role do you see the students having in helping pharmacists with the transformation process? Well, you know, <laughs> if we really want to change practice, transformationally and long-term. It can't just be us as community practitioners that change. We have to take the next generation of pharmacists with us and we have to show them exactly what we're doing. When a student can be right there with a pharmacist that's trying to transform their practice and they can experience you know, all of the components of that from the workflow challenges and understanding how to work solutions in workflow that matter, how to look at the payment procedures and documentation systems and having students involved in that from the beginning. One thing, students are incredibly creative. I mean, this generation is technology savvy. They know what they're doing with technology. Um, engaging them and helping to find solutions that work in the pharmacy is a really great thing to do. In the process, they learn how to actually do this in community practice. So we want the students to be able to take away a skill set so that when they graduate, they can go into wherever they are practicing, whatever the environment is, and they can be the transformation change agent in their practice. That's what we want them to do. So, I mean, you get down to the task level, a student can do anything that a pharmacist can do as long as they're being supervised by a pharmacist. That's state law in every state that I'm aware of. And so what I would encourage pharmacists to do, there are a lot of decisions that you make second by second, and they occur between your ears and the synapses of your brain. But students can't see that happening. So when you've got students there, talk about it with them. Talk through your thinking process and what's going on. Uh, because as you talk that through with the students, you invoke their creativity and you get them to thinking about solutions that may benefit your pharmacy practice 
And not only that, then you're training another generation of people who can then carry it forward. And uh, and hopefully we will get change happening through practice by by going through that deliberative process. So, you know, that maybe Randy doesn't get to the specific of your question of exactly what could a student do. But I, I believe having students engaged in practices that are committed to transformation is such an important thing right now. Michael, I would say that you hit it right on the head. I, I do think it's the creativity, it's the energy that the students bring. And it's that energy that helps us to start looking at different ways because they are creative and they think out of the box. They haven't been beaten down yet by the world, you know, and DIR fees and PBMs. So I think it's, it's absolutely essential that we bring the students in to give us that positive outlook and that nothing's impossible. So I do think it's that energy that they bring um, that I, I think is, is, is you know, absolutely essential to us to, to move forward and stuff. So, Michael, my next question for you, I mean, and one thing I want our listeners to understand, too, is, as I said, Michael's the dean. But he, another thing that Michael is, too, is he's he's the current president of, of the American Pharmacists Association as well, too. So congratulations on that, too, Michael. So well, thank sorry you. to announce that at the beginning here. No, it's fine. But you can tell that you're very passionate about pharmacy and in particular about community pharmacy. So, Michael, my next question for you is what's your vision for community pharmacy in the next five years? Well, I believe very strongly, that's a great question. I believe very strongly in the vision for the profession. You know, the Joint Commission for Pharmacy Practice Organizations set forth a vision for the profession some time ago that pharmacists would be the members of the healthcare team who are accountable for drug therapy outcomes in their patients. And, you know, I really, really do love that vision because. Uh, it speaks to a number of things. Number one, it speaks to the expertise of the pharmacist. There's no healthcare professional that is as well-equipped and well-trained to uh, oversee drug therapy uh, than the pharmacist. And uh, I also believe that with that kind of knowledge and skill and ability comes responsibility. And, and when the healthcare system says, yes, pharmacist, we believe that you have the expertise necessary to manage drug therapy outcomes, and we're willing to give you the responsibility and the accountability for it, uh, that that, in fact, is the true acknowledgement that the entire health system has made uh, in, in our profession. And so, you know, a lot of people get scared of that word accountability. Oh, well, gosh, if I have to be accountable for these things, then my liability goes up and the risks that, uh, for me go up. I see it very differently. When, when you are being told we're going to hold you accountable for the drug therapy outcomes of your patients, uh, I would say bring it on. That is exciting because what that tells me is the healthcare system really does value my knowledge as a pharmacist. They really do. The system then values what I have to add uh, to a to a patient uh, and to their and their outcomes. And, and it means that I have a defined role in the healthcare system uh, that's easily identifiable. And who is better for that role than a community-based pharmacist? Pharmacists who are working in local communities alongside the people that they worship with, the people that they go to the community baseball games with, the little league games with, uh, the pharmacists who are the neighbors uh, in these communities. 
those are the pharmacists that are going to truly make a difference in their patients' lives. So I really buy into this vision that our profession has has put out there. And I think I think uh, it's a strong vision. I'd say that is a very strong vision. And I totally agree that, um, you know, this this is where community pharmacists can shine because you're right. They're right there in the community. In fact, you know, getting back to the COVID-19 as I tell the pharmacists that we're in Johnson County, we formed our own pharmacy collaborative. I said, this is no longer about an individual practice and the care we provide to individual patients. That's part of it, but it's our community-wide response. What are we doing from a community perspective? And what you just talked about is really from a community perspective, how the community pharmacist really is integrated within that community. And they know these people better than anybody else. And they have an important role as a healthcare provider. So I appreciate that, Michael. Yeah, I want to I want to just uh, point out you mentioned you're from Johnson County, Iowa. I was born and raised in Johnson County, Illinois, a small rural county in the southern tip of Illinois. And when I was growing up in that small rural county, uh, we had uh, one pharmacy in the county, the Vienna Drugstore. And uh, I can remember very distinctly as a child, my mother taking me into the Vienna Drugstore. She picked up prescriptions. And they had a soda fountain there, but I can remember being enamored with the pharmacist and seeing that pharmacist and and how that pharmacist was able to reassure my mother about the medicines that were were being prescribed. I saw that as a as a child and and it had such an impact on me and I would just say you know that it, it sounds a little idealistic and 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 bucolic to look back at those times but I'd tell you that for a lot of us in our communities today our community still looks at us that way they still see us as the reassuring healthcare professional that they feel like they can approach and that they can talk to. And, you know, that has tremendous value in our society. So I'm, I just really believe this strongly in this role of the community pharmacist. It's such an important role. You know, Michael, I told you that um, I'm actually part of a an emergency operations center for Johnson County for this COVID-19. It's the first time they actually had a pharmacist um, as part of this group. And there's about 66 stakeholders on this, all public agencies. So it's actually the first time they had a private partner and a pharmacy at that as well. And so I'm representing all the pharmacists within Johnson County. And what's interesting to me is how little they really understand about what pharmacists are doing. In fact, the assistant director there sent me an email because I sent him a report all the time. And I just said, well, I hope this information is is, is helpful to you and the, and the people that are on this call. And he goes, this is tremendously helpful. In fact, during, given this pandemic and the concerns that we have from medication perspective, yeah, this is absolutely essential. And during that call, we had legislators asking us about shortages and what are pharmacists doing. But I don't think people really understand the true value of pharmacists yet, and community pharmacy in particular. So here's my next question, Michael. You've got a great vision. We got to get there. We know payers are starting to look at this more, but there's still a lot of people who don't understand it. So what do pharmacists need to do right now to ensure that your vision that you have becomes a reality? Well, um, I I uh, have been told in the past that sometimes I have an uh, uh, an amazing command of the obvious. In other words, I say something sometimes that probably could go unsaid. So I apologize in advance if what I'm about to say perhaps could have gone unsaid. But I think it's so important. 
we really, really need every single pharmacist, especially community pharmacists, to stay engaged. I know that it is so hard right now. Um, I am very aware of the financial pressures that community pharmacists face. Um, I have so many friends that are community pharmacy owners still, even though I'm not now. Uh, and and I know what's going on. And And I can just tell you, we have got to keep pressing very hard on the advocacy agenda. Um, I really believe strongly that every pharmacist in America needs to be, as every community pharmacist in America needs to be a member of APHA and NCPA and their state pharmacy association. I know that sounds like a lot, but I'm going to tell you these groups are working very, very hard at the state level and at the federal level. And uh, if we aren't engaged, uh, then we risk uh, not having the leverage that we need uh, in Washington and in uh, Sacramento and in Iowa City and in all of the places uh, where uh, uh, people meet and, and make these decisions. And we, we've got to stay united and politically involved. Uh, of course, we have to keep doing the best we can do. We have to keep taking care of patients every day uh, in the most uh, optimal way possible. But I really believe that for the vision to become reality, it's not just providing the great care. We gotta keep doing that. We have to not get discouraged and we have to keep pressing forward on this advocacy agenda. We will have a breakthrough. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind, we will win this battle. We absolutely will and community pharmacists will come out on top on the other side. We just cannot let those who would be against us wear us down. And uh, we've got to hold strong. We've got to do our best to, to hold uh, the line. And if we'll persevere, I believe on the other end of this battle, we will win. Well, I think everybody understands now how uh, you've got me to uh, become a consultant uh, for you and one of your faculty on a half-time basis. Um, you're very convincing. You have a very positive outlook, and you're a great leader, and, and I get excited. Every time I listen to you, Michael, I'm like, oh, man. I, you know, in fact, I was supposed to be in Loma Linda right now, right? But I got grounded because of the pandemic. But uh, a lot of great things are happening, and you just got the vision. I'm excited for the future, and I just congratulate you for, for doing such a great job of taking some leadership out there. So thank you very much for your time. Michael, is there any parting words you want to leave with the, uh, the, the listeners today? Well, I'd just like to say that uh, I am so uh, impressed uh, at what is happening right now in our profession, uh, the positivity. I know that pharmacists have faced difficult environments, but I'm going to tell you something. Community pharmacists rise to the challenge. Every time our nation has had a, uh, a national crisis, pharmacists have risen to the occasion and have demonstrated uh, how valuable they are. And I, every time I hear a story every single day of community pharmacists who are coming to the rescue of their patients during this crisis, um, it makes me so proud to be a pharmacist. And I'm very proud of each and every one of you and what you're doing. Keep the faith, keep up the good fight. And uh, I just wish you the best in all that you do. Thank you, Randy, for having me on today. Thank you, Michael. The Thrive Subscribe podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com, where you can join our free community, 
to inspire you, challenge you, and transform your pharmacy practice.